Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, more than half of all happily ever afters aren't. How one divorce lawyer wants to help couples who are ending their marriage take the high road to Splitsville. Also this morning in our Throwback Thursday segment, the rate of suicide in the United States has been on the increase for more than two decades. To reverse this trend, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention points to the great need for more research. We'll explain. And happening around town, members of the Fort Findlay Playhouse production of Hello, Dolly! Join us to preview their season opening show. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, July 20th, 2023. This may be the best story that you hear today. I mean, this is absolutely awesome. Doctors say a kidney transplant yesterday from a Whitmer High School educator to a student was a complete success. Word comes from the Washington Local School District, who also reports that the surgeon described 15-year-old Roman McCormick's new kidney as functioning beautifully. Earlier this year, Whitmer geometry teacher Eddie McCarthy was tested to determine if he would be a match to donate the organ to the teenager who was diagnosed with a uh, condition called Bohr syndrome, I think is how you how you pronounce it. Doctors uh, say it causes kidney malfunction. He needed a new kidney, and his geometry teacher had himself tested. And uh, days after learning that the teacher's kidney would be a fit, the operations were scheduled. Um, Mr. McCarthy says that Roman needed a kidney, and we all have an extra kidney, so the decision to donate, he said, felt like a no-brainer. Now that... Uh, is awesome. And that, how selfless, I mean, you know, we often say teachers, educators are, are saints. They're just, you know, they give uh, to uh, to their kids and, you know, their love for their students is uh, unbound, is boundless. But that's, that's above and beyond. By any measure, that's above and beyond to give an actual human organ to a student. My geometry teacher didn't even grade on the curve. So I, (laughs) that's a dedicated teacher right there. But kudos all the way around. Good to know that 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 came out well. A couple of other uh, things uh, among the first things you need to know this morning. A couple of items, uh, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Um, A personal, the personal finance uh, website WalletHub is out this week. With results of a new survey ranking the most educated cities in America. They looked at 11 key metrics from the 150 largest metropolitan statistical areas to put together their list. Among the factors considered were uh, gender and racial education gaps within uh, within a community, the share of adults who possess high school diplomas and college or graduate degrees, and the quality of public school systems. And so those are among the 11 key metrics. Um, Nearest city to us would be Toledo uh, on that list of the 150 largest metropolitan areas. Toledo placed 103rd out of 150. Number one on the list caught my eye 
Ann Arbor, Michigan. Ann Arbor, Michigan was number one. I think it was rigged. I don't know where uh, Columbus ranked, but Ann Arbor is number one. <clears throat> Make of that what you will. You can look that up and get the uh, entire list. Kind of uh, interesting. Uh, today is Moon Landing Day. It is the anniversary of Neil Armstrong's first steps on the moon, the first human to set foot uh, on another planet or another uh, celestial body other than Earth on this day in 1969. And to celebrate Moon Day, the National Air and Space Museum is showing off new uh, two new astronaut Barbies. <laughs> Uh, it's just a coincidence that it happens uh, right around uh, Moon Day, but the uh, dolls were donated to the National Air and Space Museum after returning from the International Space Station. Uh, they flew there last year, the Barbies did, as part of a mission to encourage young girls to pursue careers in space. And I have to think, and this is, you know, I don't know, maybe the skeptic in, uh, in me, yeah, okay, encouraging young girls to pursue careers in space, that's all well and good. But let's be honest, they knew that the Barbie movie was coming out. It had a release date, and so I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, it uh, provides some free publicity for the new Barbie movie at the same time. But anyway, uh, three other Barbies are also uh, on display at the National Air and Space Museum, including one that celebrates the moon landing. So... They're going all in at the uh, National Air and Space Museum for Moon Day <laughs> with this new collection of Barbie dolls uh, that they uh, have on display. By the way, speaking of space, this is kind of interesting. This uh, is definitely one of those uh, eyebrow-raising, buzzworthy type stories. While NASA insists that no one has, uh, <clears throat> shall we say, procreated in space yet... However, uh, scientists believe that since more and more private firms are offering out-of-this-world tourist experiences, you know, space tourism is becoming a thing. Professor David Cullen has called for some serious research into human reproduction in zero gravity. And if you think about it, I mean, you can kind of chuckle at this. And I did when I first saw the story, but then I got to think about it. I mean, if we're going to uh, put a colony on the moon or if we're going to colonize other planets, maybe send people to Mars uh, and, and set up long-term bases on these uh, other planets, we're going to go to space and so on, then I guess that would have to be a consideration. Um, you know, what does sex look like? in zero gravity or low gravity situations. Professor Cullen says, quote, my colleagues and I believe that space tourism companies haven't adequately prepared for the consequences of people joining what we would call the Carmen Line Club. <laughs> you have the Mile High Club. The Carmen Line marks the beginning of space. So you have the Mile High Club, uh, and now you would have the uh, Carmen Line Club. Uh, Professor Cullen believes space you know, doing that in space uh, will be a reality within the next decade. And his concern, he says, the lack of gravity that would make it difficult for partners to remain in close contact and uh, would likely 
uh, cause them to float apart. <laughs> More research is needed. Okay, show of hands. Who wants to volunteer? That's that's what I want. <laughs> are you taking are you taking volunteers? You're taking sec, uh, uh, test subjects. I'm just saying. <laughs> Get in line. <laughs> and finally, among the uh, first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Uh, everybody is talking about the presidential election next year. It's already uh, heating up the campaign. Uh, President uh, President Biden obviously is going to get uh, renominated, even though there are a fair number of Democrats who say that they don't want to see uh, President Biden run for a second term. Uh, looks like he's uh, a shoe in. Nobody's going to challenge you. And uh, former President Trump looks like he's going to get renominated. At least right now, he's up by some thirty points in the polls uh, against a wide field of other candidates. But nobody's really gained a whole lot of traction to uh, challenge Donald Trump for the Republican nomination. So it could be a rematch. And uh, that's again another thing that many Americans don't want is a rematch of the last election. Well, maybe we'll get a new choice. Make way for the Tiger King on the 2024 presidential ballot. The campaign of former Oklahoma Tiger Preserve owner Joseph Maldonado, a.k.a. Joe Exotic, announced earlier this week that they have raised the needed funds to get on the presidential ballot in New Hampshire. So at least in New Hampshire, you're going to see Joe Exotic on the ballot. Uh, Maldonado says he will run as a Democrat. And, of course, he is serving a 21-year federal prison sentence on charges, including a murder-for-hire uh, murder plot against rival wildlife park operator Carol Baskin, as well as violations of the Endangered Species Act. So, I'm not sure what his platform would be, but <laughs> at least in New Hampshire... You're going to have a, a, a third alternative. I don't know about a third viable alternative, but <laughs> are we ready for President Tiger King? I don't know. There you go. Uh, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Showers and storms possible today with a high in the mid-80s. Showers and storms possible tonight, a low in the mid-60s. Hancock County Commissioner William Bateson has been absent from office and suffering a medical emergency in the middle of June. The Board of Commissioners issued a short statement saying that Bateson is being treated and his family is optimistic about his recovery. According to the Ohio Revised Code, after 90 days of being absent, the office would be labeled as vacant. After that, the Hancock County Republican Party would name a replacement to serve out the remainder of Bateson's term through the end of 2024. Bateson was elected to the Hancock County Board of Commissioners in November 2020. Get more on the website. Finley's homeless population is growing, and Service Safety Director Rob Martin addressed City Council and community partners about the efforts being undertaken in response. We want people to be able to feel safe and be downtown and enjoy our vibrant community, business owners to have, be able to have commerce, have people come and conduct business, but people find comfort in being in our downtown if they're homeless or whatnot. 
He says a group that was put together that includes the head of the city mission prioritized three areas of focus they feel will help alleviate the situation. Those areas are community education, affordable, accessible housing, and low-barrier housing. Get more on the website. A babysitter in northwest Ohio has been indicted in the death last year of a toddler. 38-year-old Corey Sievers was arrested for the murder of a two-year-old boy in Fremont. Sievers was indicted this week by a special Sandusky County grand jury for murder, involuntary manslaughter, endangering children, and felonious assault. The Lucas County coroner ruled the boy's death as a child abuse homicide due to head trauma. Sievers denies shaking or harming the boy. WTOL 11's Kaylee Marantet reporting. We're less than three weeks away from a special election in Ohio. The August 8th special election was imposed by Republican lawmakers. They reversed a new law that had just taken effect in January, eliminating most August elections. Issue 1 proposes raising the threshold to make changes to the state's constitution from a simple majority to 60%. Issue 1 would make it harder to get amendments on the ballot. It requires any new proposal to gain signatures from all 88 counties in Ohio. I'm Tracy Townsend. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. You know, jokes comparing divorce lawyers to vipers or pit bulls have long been a staple of sitcoms and stand-up comedians. But in this day and age, when marriages are just as likely to end with a breakup as they are with happily ever after... Something interesting is happening. Couples increasingly today are trying to make divorce a less acrimonious process. For those couples looking to take the high road in ending a relationship, attorney Jeffrey Stevens and psychologist Ronald Raymond have co-written a new book called The Road to Splitsville. And uh, Jeffrey Stevens is with us this morning. Uh, Jeff, talk a little bit about uh, the the impetus for this. Where did you come up with the uh, idea and, you know, how this book came about. I'll tell you, uh, you know, I've been in practice for a long time and I've handled my share of divorces and I think we have a broken system. So the impetus really was, I didn't know that I had the power to change the system. Mm -hmm. So I figured I would work around it and try and help people see that there's a better way to get divorced in our system. Legally, I'm talking about, of course, what happens is the courts treat a, a divorce as if it's the breakup of a contract action. Yeah. I mean, you have a lawsuit, you get served with papers, you have depositions, you have discovery. I mean, these are things that are highly, highly contentious in what is already a very emotional situation. I mean, mm-hmm. people originally, I mean, let's, let's assume 99% of marriages begin because people were in love. The other 1% will leave alone, but Basically, they start with people in love, and now they end up with these people at each other's throat, and there ought to be a better way. And so I came up with the idea. I said, you know what? I'm not going to take any more divorces because I don't want this to seem like this is a book trying to build up business for myself. Right. So I've made the pledge. I'm not doing any more divorces, but I want to give people the benefit of my 40 years of experience. And as I began to write, I said, you know, I really need to address the psychological side And I know that I I think I understand a lot of that, but I'd be better getting a professional involved. And that's when I had Dr. Raymond co-write it with me. And that's how it all came to be. You bring up the emotional side because uh, all of this said and the best intentions aside, this is still a life event that takes an emotional toll and going from till death do we part to until the final papers are signed. 
it's inevitable that this is emotional. So a big part of the book talks about techniques for dealing with that psychological and that emotional impact. Yes, absolutely. I mean, as we understand, death and divorce are two of the most stressful and, and emotionally impactful events we experience in life if we're unfortunate enough to be divorced. And you said at the outset, 50% of marriages end in divorce, something like 60% of second marriages end in divorce, and 70% of third marriages end in divorce. Mm. Now, those statistics are interesting because one of the points of the book is that when people get divorced and remarry and then get divorced again, it's because they're making the same mistakes. So the first thing we do in the book, and some people thought it was counterintuitive, but I thought it was brilliant of Ron as my co-author. Before you go further down the road, first go back and look at why you got married to this person in the first place. What were the qualities that caused you to get married to this person? And what are the issues that are now causing you to get divorced? And I think it's very, very valuable for people to take the time to do that, even though you think, oh, I know I'm getting divorced. He's a jerk or she's nasty or whatever the story is that people have. It's really important to dig deep so that you don't repeat those same mistakes going forward. We also make it very clear. This is not a book, although it can have value for people who are, who are looking at the relationships, but this is not a book where we're going to put your Humpty Dumpty back together. If you've really concluded that you're going to get divorced, this is the book for you. So you talk about the way uh, this is treated in the court system as sort of the dissolution of a legal contract, but really that's sort of inevitable, isn't it? Because that's kind of what it is. Yes, it is that. So I'm not, I'm not ultimately criticizing the underlying thesis. What I'm saying is the process is less than friendly. I believe this, I'm going to take him to the cleaners because my lawyer is so smart, is nonsense. Because ultimately, the judge is going to say, okay, how many years were you married? How many kids do you have? What are your assets? What are your liabilities? Who earns what? What's your earning potential going forward? What's your respective health? And then they're going to throw this all into the hopper and come out with an answer. And that's what it's going to be. So if we know that already, let's kind of soften the impact of the process. That's what I would like to see. Does that make uh, selecting and hiring an attorney uh, a bit more of a challenge? Because I'm not sure. I mean, is that the prevailing mindset among divorce attorneys or is it closer to the other situation we're talking about right now? Because it has been so ingrained in the system for so long. Here's what the problem is. The more strife there is in the course of the divorce action, the more money the lawyers make. And lawyers are businessmen. Yeah. Do the math. Right. right. I mean, it's, you know, I've actually had, I've told stories to people. I had a lawyer once when I was a young lawyer. I called him up. I said, you know, these people don't have that much money. And it's this, this, and this. And I really think that we just, just resolved it by doing X, Y, and Z. And there was silence on the other line. And the guy said to me, how do you expect to make any money doing that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and he wasn't kidding. It wasn't yeah, a joke. Sure. It was, you know, it's like, no, no, we have to, we have to jack this up a little bit. And, you know, I've had other experiences of some are included in the book where I, I, I did a mediation for this couple. And I told them, this is where this will wind up. And I know you're very mad at your husband because he cheated on you. And I know you're mad at her because you think she's difficult. But here's the deal. This is where, the, and they had a lot of money. And, and, and I said, this is where it's going to wind up. 
the wife ultimately said, I can't go on with the mediation. I have to get the meanest, nastiest lawyer in town, paid him a fortune. A year and a half later, the husband called me up and said, I want to thank you for everything you tried to do back then. And I also want to let you know that we went to trial. And after spending $200,000 in legal fees, the result was exactly what you predicted to us a year and a half ago. So why spend them? Why make your lawyer rich? And and why not make yourself, you know, more relaxed? Because another big part of this, Chris, and people are tend to be a little naive in most divorces, the overwhelming majority of divorces, even after the judge brings the gavel down, you are not done with each other. Usually there are children. So there are going to be birthdays, births, deaths, whatever, anniversaries. There, there's also going to be financial entanglements. You also know the same people. So, so it's so much better if you could find a common ground. You don't have to like each other anymore. I get that you're mad at each other, but you don't have to be at each other's throat because what it ultimately does, that poison, it, it damages you. It doesn't damage your spouse. It damages you. Well, and, and here's the other thing that I wonder uh, about this. If we remove uh, much of the acrimony, uh, much of the contentiousness uh, from the process of the divorce, are you much more likely to end up at a more civil coexistence when it comes to the kids, when it comes to the shared acquaintances, uh, so on and so forth? Um, I mean, you hear from time to time uh, about couples that after their divorce, they're good friends. Does this Is this more likely to get you there if you remove all of this acrimony from the uh, process? Without question. And as I say, it takes less of a toll on you so you could get on with your life. You know, uh, the, the Christian ethic is forgiveness. And so even if you've had a spouse, let's say, let's say you're a woman whose spouse has cheated on her and you have every reason to be angry and you have every reason to go forward and get a divorce and you have every reason to resent what this person did to your life because you expected, as you earlier said, to live happily ever after. And now you're this single person and you're, you know, you're 50 years old and all of that. Is it going to help you to perpetuate your anger, resentment, and disgust towards your former mate? Or are you better off saying, what happened, happened. I now have to get on with my life, and I have to be happy. We're yeah. divorced. Yeah. But we can be civil to each other, which makes it easier on the children, as you say. But primarily, and I can't stress this enough again and again, it makes it easier on you. Right. Because you're not using your energy on resentment, and you don't have that poison running through your system. And that's why we say, you know, forgiveness is what we should practice. Get over it. The marriage didn't work, but we want your next one to work. And and the subtitle to this book is How to Navigate the Road to Divorce Without Making Yourself Crazy, Your Children Miserable, or Your Lawyer Wealthy, and Then Discover Your Path to Happiness. At the end of the day, it is a more civil approach to this very common civil action and its aftermath. The book is The Road to Splitsville. Attorney Jeffrey Stevens is the co-author. And you have a website in conjunction with the book, right? I do. We have the road to splitsville.com. It'll test you because it'll ask you to really look at things about yourself and your life and your marriage that maybe will be eye opening. And it also contains, Chris, a lot of anecdotes about other people. So, you know, you're not alone in this journey. Jeffrey Stevens, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Chris, a pleasure. Thank you so much.
Well, I'm looking at the uh, list here on the Fort Finley Playhouse uh, website, the shows for the 2023-24 season, and it is spectacular. Uh, right out of the gate, and uh, coming up here uh, very soon, the opening show is the classic Hello, Dolly, and members of the cast are with us uh, to a preview of that show. Samantha Henry, Timothy Frost, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you for having us. So, uh, so Hello, Dolly, I think everybody is, uh, is familiar uh, with its classic musical, um, but for those who, I don't know, maybe just coming in from another planet, talk a little bit about this show. Like you said, it's definitely a classic. Um, hopefully the audience will come to the show and recognize some titles. Yeah. Uh, Tim is going to tell us about the plot <laughs> of the show. Oh, thank you, Samantha. Um, so uh, Hello, Dolly is actually based off the classic show The Matchmaker by Thornton Wilder. Mm-hmm. And it is about this uh, wonderfully persistent lady named uh, Dolly Levi, who she her business is meddling. Uh, meddling in affairs, meddling in matchmaking, meddling in laws, and, and all kinds of things. Um, and she seems to have a business card for everything. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, she was kind of, a, kind of a fixer before we had a uh, name yes, for it. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so we see kind of her very last matchings up, if you will, before she herself gets married again um, because she is a widow and now she's looking for her own love. Mm-hmm. And it kind of goes into the chaos that ensues from that as well with all the couples that get intertwined with her uh, trail. It's a, it's a class that's been done so many times. Um but it's still an, an awful lot of fun. I mean, you know, this is like the very definition of a timeless show. For sure. Absolutely. I got to direct it in Perrysburg uh, right after the pandemic when we were allowed to do shows again. Uh-huh. And the audience just loved it. And a lot of people from the Playhouse came to see it. And the Playhouse did the show 23 years ago, 22 or 23 <laughs> years ago. And I think seeing the show again on stage, some of them were like, we have to do the show again. This. We have yeah. the perfect people to do it. Um, so it was kind of a no brainer to put it on our season. Yeah. Everybody, uh, everybody knows. Um, I mean, when I think hello, Dolly, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, Louis Armstrong's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so, hello, Dolly. Yes. <laughs> uh, but it, again, great music. Uh, the music that, that everybody knows. And it's one of the, one of the nice things about a, a classic musical uh, like this is that everybody knows the music. At Absolutely. least one song. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Sunday Close is a song that Tim gets to sing in the show with a few other folks. And I think everyone in the audience is going to remember that song. Even if you don't know the show, you've heard that song yeah. before. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, hello, Dolly. Now, give us the uh, details on this. When do you open? So, we open on July 27th, which is okay. next Thursday. So next week. Okay. Yes. And then we run through the 30th that weekend, and then August 3rd through the 6th, and the 10th through the 13th. Okay, and uh, tickets are uh, on sale? Tickets still available? They are on sale, yes they are, Um, though it is important to know that we've already sold 50% of our um, ticket sales, which is really exciting for us. Um, So if you want to come see this show, which is bound to be wonderful, definitely come and get your tickets quickly. So how do folks get tickets to the show? So they are available via phone on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 11 to 3. And the phone number is 567-525-3636. 
and they're available 24-7 online at fortfinleyplayhouse.org. There are no extra fees online, so we really encourage people to go ahead and hop on the website and purchase those. It's $15 regardless of where you purchase the ticket. uh, That's the easiest way to do it, no question. Um, As we mentioned, it is the opening show of what is going to be a fabulous season. I mean, I'm looking here at uh, some of the other uh, productions. There's the second stage production. The next one coming up is the second stage production of Ben Franklin and Ingenious Life, which sounds interesting. Uh, A farce called Out of Order. There's... uh, for Christmas, uh, it's A Wonderful Life, which, again, is a classic everyone knows, but uh, done in the form of uh, an, old-time, yes. an old-time radio uh, program, which uh, would be an awful lot of fun. Uh, there's a drama called Finding Home. It's another second stage uh, production show called Weekend Comedy uh, coming up next year. And then you wrap up the uh, season with another musical, Titanic the Musical, which yes. obviously a much more uh, modern uh, show. Yes, we did Titanic um, 10 or 11 years ago, mm-hmm. and it was such an audience favorite yeah so we really wanted to anchor our season with that no pun intended um (laughs) but uh that has some fabulous music and i've never seen the musical but i have heard some of the music as a matter of fact i think i have the uh original uh broadway cast album uh and there's some fantastic music uh in that show as well as you mentioned kind of the story of of deciding to do hello dolly again that's got to be a really fun process to decide what show are going to be a part of the season every year. Yeah, so I actually was our play reading committee chair, um, and that person selects a committee or forms a committee that selects all of our shows for the season. Um, It's kind of a different process every year. Sometimes we'll ask the audience for feedback on what they'd like to see. Um, Sometimes our members really have a passion project that they want to do, Mm -hmm. so we'll kind of build our season around that. Um, but really our focus is bringing a variety of different shows that will kind of appeal to everyone. Um, we're very lucky. We have a very strong patron base that we've had for a long time, but we're always looking for ways to bring new people into the playhouse, whether it's on stage, off stage, or in our audience. So, Timothy, I want to ask you, when uh, when the uh, list is announced of uh, shows and you learn you know, what the shows are going to be for the, the ones, are there, do, do, do you ever have that uh, moment of, oh, golly, how are we going to pull this off? um it's to be honest with you i've been doing theater for several years now and so there's not too many times where i think oh is that the right choice it's more of a ah this is a challenge yeah and i get very excited about that um so for example like hello dolly is one of those very large shows Mm -hmm. and for us to be putting it on such a small space it, it really takes every bell and whistle that we have to make it a wonderful show. And I'm very excited about that. Um, similar situations like Finding Home. Um, I wrote that show myself. And so I'm very excited that the Playhouse is supporting that endeavor of producing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited to see how that's going to transform onto the stage. And even Titanic, you know, creating that vast experience yeah. in such a small space is always magic. It's just true magic. Uh, really fortunate that there are so many uh, dedicated folks to that, that can pull off uh, something like that absolutely that are involved in the playhouse absolutely i know myself and a few others i'm lighting designing um hello dolly right now and so we'll be spending about six hours on friday just pulling out every single light 
beef, everything we've got to make the show really light up. Uh, and we should mention, uh, you're always looking for new folks to uh, join uh, the uh, Playhouse, whether Absolutely. it's somebody who uh, has that bug to get on stage or even behind the scenes, uh, plenty of things for folks to do who just love uh, you know, these uh, live stage productions. Yeah, getting on stage, helping with set builds, costumes, lighting, like Tim was talking about, props. There are a million different things that need done at the Playhouse all the time. Um, so we're always looking for new volunteers. We've actually had, oddly, a couple of people like walk in off the street that live nearby. And they're like, well, I just wondered what you guys were doing down here. And they have helped at set build like every week for the past six weeks. You kind of suck them in exactly. once they walk through um, the door. And I think it's getting people hooked. And after they come there and they spend even a little bit of time, they really love it because it is truly like a family it is it is easy to get hooked uh yes. once you uh once you get up on 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 the stage or once you get involved in that so hello dolly uh the first show of the uh, new season again tickets are available right now opening up next week we've got a link on our webpage for more information at goodmornings.net and again samantha henry timothy frost thanks very much for dropping by we appreciate it thanks, thanks for coming you're listening to good mornings with chris oaks on 1330 wfin wfin.com and 95.5 fm we interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. In the broken news this morning, a North Florida woman is facing charges for allegedly stealing a fire truck in Suwannee County. <laughs> stealing a fire truck. All right. Uh, Belinda Waugh, W-A-U-G-H, Belinda Waugh, was arrested last weekend on charges of grand theft and fraud for impersonating a firefighter. So, in case you wonder, how does somebody abscond with a fire truck? By impersonating a firefighter, uh, obviously. The chief of the Wellborn Volunteer Fire Department told deputies he allowed Ms. Waugh to spend the night at the fire station and went, <laughs> because apparently he thought that she was a fellow firefighter. Uh, when he returned the next day, both Ms. Waugh and the fire truck were missing. According to police, she called the fire chief to report that she had run out of gas and what is was at a business in the town of Live Oak, nearby town. <laughs> she ran out of gas, so she called the fire chief. Hey, come get your truck. When deputies caught up with her, she claimed she was a volunteer firefighter, but the department said that that is not true. She did not say why she drove off with the fire truck, but she did report the keys to the truck were in a blue cup in the cab of the truck, which is where they were found. <laughs> All righty then. <laughs> That's just, not only did she steal the fire truck, she weaseled her way in to spend the night at the fire station, took the fire truck, but then called the chief to say, hey, the truck's out of gas. Here's where you can find it. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, a runner-up for the title of Dumb Criminal of the Day uh, actually uh, goes to two suspects who were accused of trying to sneak contraband into a South Georgia prison. Investigators say the pair uh, were caught with uh, four ounces of marijuana, five pounds of tobacco, five pounds of tobacco, a drone, presumably to lift the uh, contraband items into the uh, prison, uh, and other uh, assorted uh, stuff that they really shouldn't have had. 
Apparently, this pair was stopped uh, outside of the Macon State Prison in Oglethorpe, Georgia, (laughs) because it was a routine traffic stop. They had a broken headlight. (laughs) That's when they found all of the stuff that uh, the pair was hoping to sneak into the uh, jail, sneak into the prison. Wouldn't you think that if you were going to try and pull off such a risky thing, that you would you would make sure that you know you did not give the cops any reason to pull over your car. Something as simple undone by a broken headlight. Well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of uh, criminals in prison, you remember the uh, story of the escaped prison uh, inmate in uh, Pennsylvania and the dog uh, in Warren County that. Uh, eventually sniffed out, literally sniffed out the uh, hiding place of this criminal. It was in the uh, the news uh, not long ago. Well, a follow-up story to uh, that item, the dog and its owners who found that escaped uh, Pennsylvania inmate on their property in Warren County are getting a reward. Ron and Cindy Eklund were alerted to someone in their... Uh, someone on their property by their chocolate chocolate lab named Tucker. Uh, Tucker's barking led the couple to find escaped inmate Michael Burnham uh, or Burham. Uh, anyway, the uh, family is getting $2,000 from Warren County Crime Stoppers and $20,000 from the U.S. Marshals uh, and, the, and the state as a reward. Uh, the couple says they have already bought Tucker a ribeye steak, a new collar, and some new toys. That's awesome. That is awesome. So the uh, the puppy is a good dog. That's a good puppy. <laughs> Gets a new collar, some new toys, and a ribeye steak. Very nice dinner. It's the least you can do, I think. That's awesome. A couple of other items uh, in the uh, broken news. Now, this is just madness. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. A man on a mission to make his near-annual Darth Valley run... Uh, as hard as possible, uh, turns into Darth Vader, complete with costume for a run in California's infamous Death Valley. Okay, so here is the story. Uh, John Rice, I guess he does this every year. He dresses up as Darth Vader, and he makes a run through Death Valley. It becomes Darth Valley. Uh, This year, Mr. Rice made his mark by sprinting a mile through Death Valley during the peak of the hottest day of the year. In this case, it was an unofficial high of 128 degrees, and he was in a full-out Darth Vader costume. Uh, Mr. Rice uh, says, it is not lost on him the risks that come with attempting such a feat. I don't believe anybody else should be doing this. Well... I don't believe that anybody should be doing this, not even you. Um, He says, I don't even really think I should be doing this particularly. So at least he recognizes his idiocy. Uh, His fastest time in the one mile Darth Valley run was last year when he said he recorded a six minute, 18 second mile. This year, he ran it at about 10 minutes after recovering from an injury. It's just amazing that he's even around to tell the story. Kids, don't try this at home. What would what would possess somebody to do something that crazy? I don't know. 
But anyway, there you go. And finally, in the broken news this morning, this is an interesting item. In case you have been living under a rock over the past year or two, and you didn't already know this, Pickleball is taking the world by storm. And if you needed more proof, there is a new reality show in the works. Yes, that's right. Ace Rodriguez, CEO and founder of the Pickleball Kingdom franchise, promises Pickleball Paddle Battle will deliver an immersive, captivating viewer experience guaranteed to unite legions of pickleball enthusiasts, sports lovers, and reality TV fans alike. Was America really clamoring for a pickleball reality show? Apparently so. Uh, Mr. Mr. Rodriguez says that the competition will offer opportunities for contestants to win prizes at a level never offered before. Viewers can expect awe-inspiring displays of athleticism, gripping rivalries, and emotional triumphs, all set against the backdrop of the pickleball craze that is uh, sweeping the world. What's more, they are looking for players. (laughs) They're hyping this up. They don't even have players yet. But that's where the story comes in and where you come into the picture. Mr. Rodriguez says a nationwide call is searching for Uh, 16 elite players carefully selected based on exceptional skills and unwavering passion for the game. Eight men and eight women will face a series of challenging and exhilarating pickleball matches, pushing their physical and mental limits to emerge victorious. If you think that you have what it takes, uh, take a low-impact jog over to pickleballpaddlebattle.tv. For more information on how to apply, that's www. And I'm not kidding about this. This is absolutely real. www.pickleballpaddlebattle.tv for more information. And you could be the next viral pickleball star. Reality TV. I don't know. That's a little too real for me. I think. Mean, there you go. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. WFIN needs your help to stuff the bus with school supplies for needy students in our area. Go to WFIN.com for donation information. Bring your donation to the Yellow School Bus at the Tiffin Avenue McDonald's in Finley. Thursday and Friday, July 27th and 28th from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. And Saturday, July 29th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. School supply registration forms are required and can be accessed at cchsupport.org. Stuff the Bus, brought to you by McDonald's and 1330 WFIN. Time for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. We were talking about uh, taking the high road to Splitsville, Splitsville, the uh, book earlier, uh, for couples who are looking to uh, divorce because more than half of all marriages in this country now end in divorce. But that may be a thing of the past if uh, this mindset of many young adults uh, becomes sort of the norm. According to a new survey uh, commissioned by the Thriving Center of Psychology, finds that two in five young adults, more than that, uh, really, think that marriage 
is an outdated concept. Two in five young adults, 85% of young adults, believe that you don't need to get married to have a committed relationship. Uh, The survey finds that women, more likely than men, to actually have this view, which was a surprise to me. I would have thought more men would be, you know, kind of ambivalent to the idea of marriage. But no, it's more women. Uh, 73% of millennials and Gen Zers say it's too expensive to get married. And 72% say that they're just not interested. Now, despite that lack of interest, 83% do think that they will eventually marry someday. But for now, they're just not interested. By the way, uh, Toledo, Ohio, along with Seattle, Washington, are the American cities with the most unmarried couples living together. Toledo and Seattle, according uh, according to the survey. By the way, in a related note, do you know that there is one state that still... Uh, where it's still illegal to live with a partner in an unmarried state, to live in sin, as they used to say. Mississippi is the last state where cohabitation is banned. Uh, Unmarried couples in Michigan can now live together after a 1931 law was repealed earlier this week. Up until this week, it's actually been illegal in the state of Michigan for unmarried couples to, to live together. That law penalized unwed couples who are cohabitating with up to a year in prison and a $1,000 fine. Senator uh, Stephanie Chang said this uh, move brings Michigan into the current century. No word on whether the Mississippi law is being considered for repeal or not. But interesting, Mississippi is the only state where cohabitating, living with your boyfriend or girlfriend... Uh, is actually against the law uh, without the benefit of marriage. Well, if you have been listening to the program all this week, you know that we have spent quite a bit of time talking about the anniversary of the launch of the National 988 Mental Health Crisis Hotline and its impact in its first year. But, you know, finding as many ways as possible to prevent suicide and save lives is a long-standing effort. Back in 2018, the CDC issued a report that the incidence of suicide in this country increased 25 to 30 percent since 1999. And, of course, that was well before the pandemic, which we know caused increased cases of depression, anxiety, and all the other concerns that can lead to a spike in the number of people attempting to take their own lives. In June of that year, we spoke with Dr. Christine Moutier, Chief Medical Officer of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, about that report and the need for more research into the issue. From June of 2018, it is today's Throwback Thursday. The obvious question here with this uh, surge in the number of suicides of the past decade and a half, the obvious question is, why? 
Yes, and it's a really important question to grapple with. Research shows us that suicide is always the result of multiple risk factors sort of piling up on one another. So when we talk about the rise in a national rate or even state by state, community by community, we have to consider multiple risk factors. So it's a bit of a more complicated um, answer, but it does involve issues certainly related to any trends and changes in mental health and the ability to access effective mental health care and also cultural beliefs that impact whether someone is willing to seek that kind of treatment or not. You know, we've had, we've lived with stigma for too long and Mm -hmm. that is diminishing, um, but that certainly still has been a factor. Other factors as well, like the opioid crisis that we are in, means that more people in the population have access to the lethal means that's, that is fentanyl and other forms of opioids, but particularly because that's such a highly um, potent substance, and, and other lethal means as well. Economic factors actually can impact the suicide trends of a population. Um, and then there are many other factors on an individual basis that sure. have to do with things like um, psychosocial strain and stressors, finances, relationship breakups, any transition in life, actually. And when you think about the higher rate of suicide in veterans and uh, in our military active duty personnel, um, but in any of us who, who may um, have a mental health condition and who may become at risk for suicide, times of transition are very hard on human beings in general. Mm-hmm. So anything that, um, that w- when those kinds of factors come together, the other things to consider are, are things like the impact of new trends in our society, like social media, and then other things like um, history of, of violence, um, abuse, childhood neglect, really any of those ACEs, the adverse childhood events, um, can also increase risk tremendously. So it, yeah. it is it is definitely multifactorial. Yeah. Part of the answer to that question kind of leads to the obvious follow-up question, what can be done to reverse the this trend of increasing suicide rates? Well, one strategy that we at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention are taking, and not alone, certainly, with with many other uh, partners, is a public health strategy that says, just as we have invested in the research, treatment, education, and programs related to just about every other leading cause of death in our nation. And when we made that investment on a federal level as well as state by state, we have seen declines in mortality. And this is true of heart disease, various forms of cancer, and HIV AIDS. And so the same thing can be done to address the problem of suicide. Well, what kind of research are we talking about? We know, mm-hmm. you know, what you know. We know what the factors are uh, in suicide, mm-hmm. and we know how to prevent it. What 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 more research needs to be done? That's a really great question. We still have unanswered questions. For example, for the clinician who's sitting with a person in crisis, whether it's in a primary care clinic, a pediatrician's office, or an ER, they could. Potentially, the research is starting to get there to look at the use of biomarkers to discern who is at risk in a population. We also need to know better how to determine who is at the highest risk 
and at the highest short-term risk. So all of those so, risk factors we talked about, they elevate a person's um, more like the, the long-term risk for suicide. Mm-hmm. But they're not terribly useful if you're sitting with the person and trying to figure out what resources do they need. Do they need to be so, hospitalized or can they be referred to outpatient treatment? So you're saying that, that there is some belief that there is something biological going on that makes someone more uh, with a greater propensity for uh, suicide or to do harm to themselves? Is that why lots of people go through tough times? Some people you know, take that extreme out and, and others don't? Exactly. You, you put it well. I mean, if you think about the millions of people who face all of those psychosocial stressors I talked about, mm-hmm. bullying and job loss and all that, right. every single day, and don't even become suicidal, let alone take their life, there are some other factors that are clearly driving those individuals towards suicide as a response. And what the research, again, that is, um, it, I would say it's in its not infancy, but not its full maturity either. We're somewhere mm-hmm. in between. Yeah. Is showing that the brain has something to do with with suicide risk, so, and so those are neurobiological factors, genetic factors, and and other physical factors as well. Um, chronic health conditions and uh, chronic pain, uh, as well as addiction and all mm-hmm. of the, those mental health stressors, yeah, absolutely okay. can increase suicide risk. So we're talking about the the uh, impact of neurological function and biological function. <laughs> So on and, and how that maybe perhaps uh, increases one's propensity uh, to consider taking their own life. But as you say, we are not going to know. That's not something that you can immediately see. So if I have a loved one that I am concerned about or, you know, in terms of picking up on those warning signs for, you know, the average public, we can't see those biologi- biological markers. How do we pick up on the warning signs. Yes, just like we as as family members can't see into somebody's heart disease, we can read their signs of chest pain and um, you know, exercise fatigue and different things, shortness of breath and realize, my goodness, there may be something going on, let's get them to a doctor. So the warning signs around suicide risk or even just thinking about deterioration of mental health would be things that we may have in the past chalked up too much to just plain old stress and considered them normal responses. Mm -hmm. So they could be things like changes in sleep, appetite, losing one's temper, drinking more, turning to drugs and alcohol, withdrawing from activities. You know, the, the range of... Our patterns of behavior as human beings, even though we do have free will and and individual autonomy and all of that, we certainly Mm do, but actually behaviorally, psychologically, emotionally, we live in a range just like we do in terms of our our physical physiology. And so your, your instincts will tell you if your loved one is doing something, coming across in a way that just seems different. And so that's a moment where you want to actually pay attention to that rather than writing it off, as I mentioned before. Yeah. And, and dive in and really invite them into a, a safe, caring, and supportive conversation where they can share with you about what is actually going on. Go to our website, AFSP.org, and you will find a whole lot of information about the risk factors and warning signs, what to do if you're concerned about a loved one. But also, if you want to get more involved, we have local AFSP chapters and out-of-the-darkness walks, as well as advocacy efforts, where right now hundreds of our volunteer field advocates are sort of storming Capitol Hill and asking for these investments and changes to be made in our nation. 
From June of 2018, our conversation with Dr. Christine Moutier, Chief Medical Officer of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. It is our Throwback Thursday. And that'll finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information on all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. So head on over to goodmornings.net. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow to finish up the week.